there's a huge knowledge gap when it comes to healthcare literacy. And that impacts the financial literacy perspective. And we wanted to help people make these decisions in relation and integrate it into their financial plan because it is one of the top expenses that you will incur in your retirement. And so it is just absolutely absurd to me that advisors don't have a good way of including this into their financial plan. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Christine Simone, welcome to Bridging the Gap. How are you doing? I'm great. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this is exciting. Serendipitous was the word I was looking for in a prior conversation, which you will help me remember. It's serendipitous that we're having a conversation today because the people that introduced us, I had a conversation with this morning. So it's a, you know, it's a full caribou day, but I'm, I'm really stoked about this conversation. So it's gonna be fun. I love it. I love full caribou days. That's my everyday and I wish that upon everyone. So let's make it happen. And you're out in this. Is, I've got to go here just for a second. You're out in San Fran, right? I am in San Francisco. Okay. So do you, do they have caribou coffees out there? They do not. Usually I get asked that question mm. from anyone who lives or has lived in like the Midwest. They're familiar with caribou coffee and they ask me if the company was named or has anything to do after the coffee cup. Yeah, I, I do find it. I find it a little bit rude to your your brand that you drink Starbucks probably instead of caribou coffee. But that's just, uh, you know, my uh, yep. no, I'm just kidding. We'll maybe send Pete's, you a caribou coffee machine Pete's or something. Blue bottle, that that's what they drink <laughs> out here. No, no caribou coffee. No, that's great. No, I'm super excited about this conversation. We've had an ability to, to connect before. And, you know, I really am impressed by by what y'all have done and what y'all have built. I think it's a, <laughs> a, a specific need when you talk about healthcare planning. And I think it's a, a niche that needs to be more involved in our planning as, as advisors. So I, I'm really excited about diving into that, diving into some just general planning ideas and thoughts, and then really diving into kind of you running a business and uh, starting the business and founding the business and the challenges of that. Uh, yeah. And I'm super excited to talk about that. So uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. But before we get in, I, I asked this to all the guests. Sometimes it comes, uh, it's asked you know, elegantly, sometimes not as elegantly. But I'm always curious about the journey that, that got yeah. you to where you are. And I always like to ask, you know, did the 13-year-old Christine Simone want to be running a company called Caribou? <laughs> Not one bit. <laughs> what, what did the 13-year-old Christine Simone want to do when she grew up? I was actually not far from landing my first job. I think I started working at like 14 or 15. I don't know if that's allowed. I was paid cash, so don't, don't get my old boss in trouble. But you, you know what I was? I, I was a Disney princess. I worked at a, a birthday party facility and I got to coordinate birthday parties and make little girls' dreams come to life by dressing up as Jasmine, Ariel, Belle, you know, all the brunette princesses and spend the most joyous two hours of their year with them. And it was the best job I ever had. And it taught me that if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. So yeah. I... I learned that from a very young age, and I'm very grateful to have learned that from a very young age because my next job was then a snowboard instructor. And then I started to get a little bit nerdy, and I loved sciences, and I wanted to be a marine biologist, and that stuck with me the longest. And then that turned into a doctor, and that's what I went to school for. And uh, we'll get into this, but realized I didn't want to be on the clinical side of the healthcare system and wanted to be on the innovation side of the healthcare system instead. So it was by no means a straight path. It went from Disney princess to snowboard instructor to marine biologist on a boat and then to doctor. And then here we are. 
I love that. What a journey. I and you know, and I, I love that you said that you got to spend the two most exciting hours with the kid. Like that is, you know, I kind of find yeah. that selfish because then you send it home to their parents and the parents have to deal with all the other <laughs> stuff. I, I see it in every day. Uh, but that you're right. That is the best part of the day. Uh, yeah. And you got to see them at their finest, which is awesome. I, I, I love that. Well, talk to us about the journey. I, I'm always so curious. So snowboard instructor, marine biologist, and then you went into wanting to be a doctor on the medical side. And you've always had this kind of tie, at least it seems professionally, to the medical side of the world, healthcare side. So tell us more about that and, and what kind of led you to then to Caribou. Yeah, so I have a bachelor's in biology. I had applied to do a master's and almost started it in neuroscience and physiology. So I was like deep in that research and medical type of field and really thought that that was what I wanted to do. But realized that that's because that's what school teaches you that that's what you want to do if you like sciences and you like healthcare and you care a lot about those sorts of things. They really only teach you to be a doctor, to be a vet, or to do research if you like sciences and biology and the sort of things that I was studying. Like organic chemistry was my favorite class in high school. I was like such a nerd. So, you know, I, you know, used to watch Shark Tank at night and I used to read business books. I used to think like that was so cool, but I had never taken a single business class in in my entire academic career. And so when I graduated, and I told my parents, you know, I'm actually going to join a startup and, you know, they're this medical device company and they're making this new innovative technology for people with visual impairment. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to take a sales role and I don't know what I'm doing. You know, they were like, are you sure? You know, we can explain to people that you want to be a doctor. And, you know, it's something that we understand. Like, what is this startup? What are they doing? Can they even pay you any money? And, you know, from there, it's just like you get the bug and there's just no going back. I can't ever imagine doing anything else but being on like this startup and innovation and tech side of the healthcare ecosystem. It's just so freaking cool to see you actually make change and see what impact you can have on the actual consumer. So I've always worked in even in B2B businesses, you know, the goal is always to impact the end patient, the consumer, the person who's accessing the healthcare system. So I was at a digital health company, a medical device company, and then uh, started Caribou. That's incredible. You know, I think the transition into Caribou, and then I want to talk deeper on the healthcare and and general healthcare planning and the challenges around it, why it's so difficult. Gosh, I mean, it's overwhelming. I don't even know what I'm paying for, to be honest, but uh, or where it's going. But that's a whole other topic. What was the problem that you saw and what made you take that leap? from working for a startup to being a startup. What what was the problem you saw and what was that journey like to get to that point? Yeah, you know, I always reflect on this because people ask me, like, did you want to be an entrepreneur? Is that something that you really craved and wanted to do? And the, the true answer is actually no. Like not at least intentionally in my head was that something where I was like, you know, I don't really want to work for anybody else. I want to I want to run my own thing. I've never felt by the way like I work for everyone. I work for my entire team. I work for my customers. I work for my investors. Like I don't feel like I run my own business even today. So that is, I think, a misjudgment of what it is to be an entrepreneur. But it just sort of snowballs. It's like you see this problem and then you're like, well, like, let me look into that. And then it turns into something else. And then you talk to a few people and you learn some new insight. And then it just kind of slowly snowballs. So there wasn't like one moment where I woke up and like I quit my job. Uh, I mean, like that did happen, but it was like a series of events where 
you know, you just slowly start to gain more and more insights and you're deeper and deeper into the hole. And then all of a sudden you wake up and it's like you've raised venture capital and you have a team of employees and you've got customers and it's like, whoa, how did that even happen? And I think Mm. that only happens when you really, truly care about what you're doing and you're not going out and you're just like researching something and creating a business plan. And then like, you know, you just go out and execute it because when you start from nothing, which I did, you know, you have to constantly prove that next step and then you start to make progress and then it just starts to snowball. And even today, I mean, we're constantly proving things. So. I, I love that idea. It's really kind of a motto that that we talk about a lot. It's just a matter of taking the steps and just focusing on the moment that you have. All right, I'm going to go have a conversation. Okay, I had that conversation. I learned something new. I'm going to take that forward and take that forward and then take that forward. And then all of a sudden you look at what you built and you built something pretty incredible. And that's a, yeah. as opposed to being like, I'm going to go build something like and just continue. You, you want to have a vision, but the process of reaching the vision is always meant in the smallest incremental actions. And that's what you, yeah. you did. Absolutely. Constant iteration is like the startup philosophy, right? Like you're constantly learning, you're talking to potential users. I actually got in a little bit of a Twitter battle last night with someone in the financial planning industry because they had said, it'd be a comment, you know, if you're building a fintech solution, go out and pay financial planners for them to consult in your business. And I had replied saying, if you're actually building something of value, people should A, be willing to give you their advice for free. And B, they should actually be begging you to invest in your company. They should be paying you <laughs> for you to actually go out and talk to them. And they should be want to want to be part of that success because you're going to make their lives hopefully 100 times better. That's what a successful business does. A product that has value makes its customers' lives, you know, a hundred times better. And so I'm very thankful that nonetheless, even though we haven't paid financial advisors for the advice, I'm very thankful for the ones who took phone calls from people who were had no business, you know, being in financial planning. I'm not an advisor. I have no financial services background, as I just said, my whole background's healthcare. But people got on the phone with us, they explained the gaps in the market, they walked me through what their client conversations looked like and what they wished they had in terms of a solution as it related to healthcare cost planning, and helping their clients make insurance decisions. And I am so, so grateful for that. But that's how you build something of real value is you find people actually have a pain that is so, so pressing that they're willing to actually dedicate their time to you and and talk you through what that looks like for them. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that side. I think that I think it's foolish of saying I, I want people that are in the industry to tell me what they need to build in the industry because they're I'm in the industry. I, I, you know, I, I built and failed at a technology company being in the industry. And there's a perspective that comes from outside the industry. And I would say, uh, you know, I always go back to Ford, Henry Ford's quote of if you ask him what to build, they'd say a faster horse because that's yeah. all they know. And he built a car. And that's the goal of entrepreneurship. That's the goal of building technology is to bring something of value that nobody else knew that then changes the game for how they think going forward. And that's foolish to say that I need to consult the people that are in it when I'm trying to build something that that they don't know of, but that they need. And uh, uh, kudos to you for that on that side. And, And that gets to kind of this question of what gap did you see? Like what what is it that you saw and said, there is a problem there that's not being solved and I want to go solve it. Basically, so the initial insight was based on the experience that I had in the healthcare system. And there's lots of data that supports this. You know, Kaiser Family Foundation, for example, has a statistic that only 14% of Americans can define to you what a deductible, an out-of-pocket maximum, a copay, coinsurance, and a premium are. Like there's a huge knowledge gap when it comes to healthcare literacy. And that impacts 
the financial literacy perspective. And people are, I believe, drastically overspending on healthcare, or you hear about medical bankruptcy and the fear that people have around healthcare, and it's really because they don't understand it. So what we went after was we wanted to help people make more proactive decisions around their health insurance. We wanted to break down any potential incentive that is happening in the insurance industry, which I'm sure we'll dive into. And we wanted to help people make these decisions in relation and integrated into their financial plan because it is one of the top expenses that you will incur in your retirement. And so it is just absolutely absurd to me that advisors don't have a good way of including this into their financial plan. So, you know, we probably had 50 to 100 conversations with advisors when we had no product at all. And basically what we were asking them was what gap, what, what, cl- what questions are your clients coming to you with related to healthcare, And where do you send them today? Like, where are the gaps in those conversations and how do you wish you could address them? And, you know, they would tell us, they refer my clients out to brokers. There is nothing I can do as it relates to healthcare and healthcare planning because I just don't understand it. The state-specific regulations, the different types of coverage, high deductible, low deductible, sure, I can speak to that. But how to incorporate their medication costs and their healthcare utilization into the conversation, no way, I can't do that. So we just basically interviewed all of these advisors and got a lot of insights into how they wish they could address it. And that's where we slowly started to build out what was initially Google form where we would collect some information from their clients, basically plug that information into medicare.gov or healthcare.gov and then like create this deliverable in Excel and export the Excel spreadsheet and then like slap the advisor's logo on it. And we sold this thing. It was, it was, it wasn't even software, but you know, we started to just slowly iteratively test. And one of those first few customers actually just came back for their third year in a row. So the client of the advisory firm just came back for their third year in a row and open enrollment. And it's so cool to see their reaction of just like the progress that we've made with the actual deliverable. And the feedback is phenomenal. But, you know, that's how we started. And then, you know, as we started to move into larger and larger RIAs, of course, we had to do the whole SOC 2 compliance thing. And so we're not we're not in spreadsheets collecting data through Google Forms anymore because that's not compliant. But, you know, that's how it starts and that's how it starts to snowball and you get that iterative feedback and you can make adjustments on the fly. A customer tells you something in the morning. If I'm in a spreadsheet, I can change that for whoever in the afternoon I'm working with. Right. So mm. that's always the methodology that that we've subscribed to. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's something especially that I learned early on is don't build. You don't know your vision for the solution on day one is not what the solution is going to be on day 100 day 180, day 360, whatever it may be. And so make it easy to iterate it so you don't get into a cost crunch on that side. You mentioned it in your answer there with healthcare literacy in the sense of deductibles. And and I, I kind of said it in tongue-in-cheek as well. Like, I don't know who I'm paying, what I'm paying for, when I pay what. I mean, my wife just came back you know, from picking up some medicine for my son and said that, you know, without insurance, it costs $40. And with insurance, it costs $50. She's like, I don't quite get it. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really, that doesn't make much sense. But I kind of understand it. But that's the world. So I want to dive into healthcare as a cent as the beginning. Why is it so difficult? I mean, it does feel like it's like, a, it's like the, the 10 layer bean dip where it's like, every, there's so many different layers and so many people that have to get paid. And why is healthcare have to be so difficult? And why is it so difficult for people to understand in America? 
You just summarized it the best way I've ever heard it summarized. It's because there's so many stakeholders. There's so many in-between people that it's just everyone's got to get paid and everyone's got to make it more complicated than it is. And an entrepreneur that I have a lot of respect for is Mark Cuban, who's creating this drug company that is basically removing all of the middle people from the equation. And it's drastically reducing the cost of medications for a lot of people. I mean, what he's done on that side is just absolutely phenomenal. And I have a lot of respect for that. And basically, the whole principle is just remove the middle people. And that that's basically the best way to describe it. I think another reason, too, is just that you don't have to think about it if you're employed. And a lot of people that, you know, you and me might interact with are people who are employed, who have employee benefits. Oftentimes, it's covered by the employer, subsidized by the employer, at least on average to about 75%. Your co-pays, your out-of-pocket maximum, your deductibles, these are all low. They're reasonable. We don't have to think about it. But then we leave the workforce when we retire and we recognize, oh my goodness, this is going to be one of the biggest expenses that I incur. And I didn't actually understand what was covering what and so on because so much of it was subsidized by my employer. So I think that people just have like a very reactive approach to healthcare as a for, as opposed to more proactive. And that's that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people plan, you know, a year, two years in advance of their retirement instead of retiring and then realizing you've got 60 days to figure something out. And then you're just overwhelmed by all of the options at that point in your life. So we're trying to help people think a little bit earlier to that. And that applies to Medicare as well, which is like a totally different beast and a totally different animal, the way that they cover drugs, the way that your income impacts things. The different pieces and parts. I mean, it's just designed in such a complicated fashion, and I can't tell you why that is. I do not have the answer to that. Well, that, um, that but it's just one so question. different. Yeah, yeah that, that eliminates one question I had on my my list is why is Medicare so difficult to understand? But we won't go there. That's yeah. for another podcast. Um, <laughs> maybe an investigative podcast. But we could look into that. You know, it's interesting that you say about healthcare. I think that's right. It's just like this is the way that it is. Like I have a copay, so it feels like it's so cheap. Like I don't know why I need to deal with it. And it's the same thing with like retirement planning as well. Like if they automatically do 401ks, like they don't think about saving for retirement until they get to retirement. They feel like, oh, yeah. uh, now I got to do it myself. At least with healthcare planning, you have some more optionality than you do retirement planning in that sense. But I I'm curious before I get into what is the kind of the, the process of healthcare planning, what does that look like? In the group of people, who are these middle people like that Mark Cuban has taken away? And what is the purpose? Is there value in them? And I'm not asking you to take a stance on healthcare in America. Well, I kind of am. But is I'm just trying to understand how we got to this point and why it's still at this point. Like, is is it necessary for everything? Is it checks and balances and we've just gotten out of the, the realm of it? But who are those people in the middle and and why are they there? What were their purpose? And then they may not be valuable now at this point. Yeah, it's sort of a like philosophical debate a little bit. And I'll talk just briefly about the, the drug ecosystem and then I'll kind of transition it over to what we do, which I know a lot better and can speak to that a lot, a lot more coherently. But on the drug side, like pharmacy benefit managers negotiate drug prices with the insurance carriers and the pharmacy. And so they're supposed to intent like at the onset, they were supposed to be making the administrative burden a lot easier, but realized that they needed to get paid for what they do. And so it's just this extra step in the whole process that Mark Cuban is cutting out of the process. And if you look at it, health insurance, for example, a broker 
technology has made it available for people to shop online on their own. So similarly, you actually don't need a broker. You don't need somebody who's going to make a commission or could potentially mark something up or incentivize their client by selling, you know, a certain plan over the other and not having the client's best interest at heart, you know, technology has actually potentially completely disintermediated that broker. And so there's all these middle people. It's just the way in which I think we had to do things back then. So I don't want to, you know, speak poorly about the way things were done. But what technology has allowed us to do today is basically just empower the end consumer more, give them access to more information, more data. The transparency of that information is starting to get a little bit better. There are laws and regulations now today around like price transparency at hospitals and facilities, for example. But some hospitals are so rich that they don't care about fines of hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So that's also part of the problem. But we said we weren't going to talk about politics and things like that. So let's not upset some folks. But there are some laws that are starting to come into play that are hopefully supposed to help with those sorts of things. But it does come down, I think, to even the financial advisor of ensuring that their clients understand what health insurance they have. Mm. And they understand what their potential risk exposure, as we call it, is on an annual basis. It blows my mind that advisors are not making the connection with their financial plan to the actual health insurance policy that their clients have. They are plugging in numbers that eMoney, MoneyGuide Pro, or whatever online calculator they're using gives them that is based off of typically three inputs, which is age, location, and what type of insurance the client has, so like Medicare as like a bucket, for example. And that, I mean, I've seen clients pay $5,000 on Medicare annually, and I've seen clients pay $45,000 on Medicare annually, depending on a variety of different factors. So it's just, it's not enough. And so I think that's hopefully where we'll transition to next is like, what can advisors actually start to do based on the technology that's available to them now. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect segue. I mean, I, I, I'm curious on like, what does healthcare planning look like? I mean, this whole transition to holistic planning, it feels like it's been around for a while. But when you look at, when you zoom out at the industry, it's only happened in the past 15 years, maybe. And it's still yeah. relatively in its infancy. And it really never, it started with just doing like some tax planning or some retirement planning. And then it got into estate planning. And then it got into, you know, some insurance planning, etc. But what does healthcare insurance planning process look like? Like, what is the approach that advisors should go through when it comes to that? So, you know, I wasn't necessarily in the industry when, you know, tax planning or estate planning really started to become a thing. I think now that's table stakes. I think that some of the data that I see says that, you know, like 90% of firms have implemented tax planning to some extent, or, you know, there's really high numbers that demonstrate that these are offered amongst majority of financial advisors. And I think the one pillar that is truly missing is what is one of clients' top expenses in retirement after housing and transportation, depending on how you slice the data, it comes in at number two sometimes, which is healthcare costs. And no one client's healthcare costs look exactly like the others, even amongst the same household, you have spouses and the two of them will have drastically different healthcare costs. And so we're embodying a lot of what tax and estate planning did. It, it's tools and functionality that give the advisor to deliver some pretty comprehensive guidance to their clients around how to make smarter decisions and optimize their healthcare costs. So one thing is planning towards them, but just like a financial plan or an investment strategy, you don't set it and then you know forget about it. You're constantly coming back to it and you're evaluating it and you're optimizing it 
for the market conditions, for the stage of life that the client is in, and a variety of different factors. Similarly, as your client is aging, you don't want to continue to say, hey, that HSA compatible high deductible plan is fantastic because it gives you triple tax advantage benefits. I think that that's what advisors are doing today. And that is potentially somewhat, you know, like irresponsible and dangerous to clients because they're not actually considering that holistic human, you know, like healthcare is human in front of them and what their actual healthcare needs are. So the way that we encourage advisors to approach that is that hopefully this is something that you're talking about every year. You know, everyone goes through open enrollment, whether you're employed, retired, or on Medicare of an open enrollment period. Check in with your clients. Ask them, did you get a new medication? You know, do you have something upcoming, procedure, hip replacement? Are you having a baby? You know, even if you're younger, you should really be having these conversations with your clients too. And ask them, you know, do you need resources to help you evaluate your, your health plan options and can we can we help you with that? This is one of the things that is arguably one of the most emotional topics that you can connect with your clients on. There's so much, you know, health is wealth. You know, you don't have your wealth unless you have your health. Like it's it's so it sounds cliche, but it's it's actually so true. And this is what clients like really, really appreciate connecting with their advisors on. And advisors are completely missing the opportunity to do it because they then go, oh, you can go talk to my friend, you know, whoever down the street who's a broker who will sell you some health plan and talk to you about your options. And to me, it blows my mind that they would just refer that opportunity out. And then also there's no feedback back into the financial plan. They have no idea what their clients picked. They have no idea what their potential costs are going to be. And they stick to whatever estimate, you know, their financial planning tool gave them. Why, why do you think, I, I have an opinion and a thought, but I want to ask you the expert first. Why do you think that advisors have neglected healthcare planning for so long and, and still do? I, I, I'm curious, why do you see that? Part of it is because there's not been good tools to address it. So I always empathize with advisors and I say, you know, the only way to have done this prior to a product like Caribou is to have learned it yourself. And I don't think you want to do that. I don't even think your clients want you to do that. You know, they want you to be the financial expert and the quarterback of their financial lives and connecting them to the right folks. And I think up until a couple of years ago, the right folks would have been insurance brokers. But now that advisors are transitioning towards more fee-only types of services, advice-based services, there are better options out there that don't leave your clients exposed to potential incentives or potentially having you know products pushed on them. A lot of advisors are transitioning that way in addition to you know, more comprehensive, holistic services. So I think there's just been not good resources available to them candidly. And so I never, you know, meet an advisor and I'm like, you know, bad, bad, you know, you mm -hmm. haven't been doing this. There's usually they meet me and they say, I didn't know you existed. I didn't know there was mm -hmm. something like this that was out here. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair one. I think it's also, you know, I've, I've put a lot of thought into this idea, not, not necessarily healthcare plan, but like in terms of more deeper holistic planning, even deeper, right? Maybe it's called deep holistic planning. I don't know. That seems like <laughs> a very not good catchphrase. But, you know, if you think about it, like, yes, theoretically, utopia, we, all advisors should be talking about everything with their clients. Like that is the right thing, the smart thing for everybody to say. And that's what like everybody's like, yeah, you should be doing that until it comes time that you do it. Nobody does it. So there's like a, there's like this like gap, right? And so then you ask, well, why is it that gap? Is it an education gap? Is it a tool gap? Whatever it may be. 
but you but you think about it it's like the if you think about like the journey of an of a human becoming a client of an advisor what is their their initial perception is I have money problems. I have money concerns. I'm going to go talk to the money person who, of course, the money person is the investment person. And so when that person comes in, their expectation is to talk about money. And when you start then talking about, hey, tell me about your medications that you have. And are you, uh, oh, what what type of, you have diabetes? Okay, we have to talk about that. Like Then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I came to get my money stuff solved. You're supposed to solve my money problems. I came for that service. Like, let's go. And there's this immediate friction that's there. And so, you know, I think it's overcoming that is the challenge. Yes, it sounds great to do. I know that a lot of advisors do a really phenomenal job at it, but that is the challenge in terms of the the sphere. And so I'm curious how advisors can help ease that uh, without causing that immediate friction of I'm coming to you for to solve a problem and you're asking me all these questions that doesn't solve my direct problem. So why are you doing that? Get to my problem and solve my problem, you you widget maker. That's what they're they're saying from that <laughs> standpoint. Well, I have I have two responses to that, and the first would be that I think if advisors think that that's what's going to happen, so that's actually not the the case. They they are scared of that happening. They are scared of their client actually either resisting the offering or actually wanting to go really deep into it. And they don't have the expertise to actually start to mm. advise them on how their potential medication costs could impact the cost of their health, their healthcare costs overall and so on and so forth. So I think there's a group of advisors that are scared of that situation happening, which is, I think, very, very rare in the thousands of clients that we've worked with, I think we've had maybe two or three that have said, I actually don't want my advisor to see my medications. And we have since redacted that information from our platform on the advisor's view, so they don't see that anymore. But it is a very, very small fraction of all of the clients that we've worked with. They actually are comforted by the fact that they know that their advisor has this information. They're, they're not like investigating it depending on the medications that they take, but they at least are incorporating it into their financial plan. That's what they want to know. And then the, my second comment is, you know, this isn't something that they're mentioning necessarily in the very first meeting. You know, like they're pulling out this tool when needed. And that might be in that very first meeting, maybe the client says, you know, I'm retiring in two years and healthcare costs are one of the things that I am really scared about because I'm fortunate enough to retire at 58 and I've got seven years to Medicare and that's going to be $200,000 potentially in healthcare mm. costs between those that period. Great. Advisor can say, no problem. You know, we've got something, a tool that we use that will help you every single year evaluate your health plan options and optimize your costs to make sure you're not overspending. I've had advisors tell me they've closed prospects by being able to, to pull that tool out of their toolkit. And second is, what happens when you've been working with the client for 20 years? You think you want to have, you know, just investment focused related meeting? They're bored of hearing that. They don't need to hear that in the last few years, their portfolio has gone down. You know, you want to talk to them about something else. You want to bring out a different conversation. You want to involve their parents. You want to involve their kids. Guess what? Their parents are aging, probably on Medicare. Great conversation to have with their parents. Their kids are turning 26, aging off their policy. There's the next generation and a conversation that you can have with them as you start to prepare for the, the what's already happening and the transfer of, of wealth and so on. So it, it's more than it's more than advisors actually think it is. A client who's getting divorced loses their benefits from their spouse. How can you deliver value to that client in that moment? Actually helping them, taking one thing off of their check, the million mm -hmm. checklist that they have to do. Like these are typically very emotional moments in your client's lives, and for you to be able to step in as an advisor and provide tangible value and help them make a decision. 
again, I've not been an advisor, but to me, I think that's pretty darn cool. I, I like the idea of taking something off their table. And I, I do agree with you. I think that there's always this fear of how people react. And, and you also have to remember the, the, the advisory community is more analytical and not uh, a, you know emotional yep. aspect. And so talking on deeper stuff in medical and healthcare is not necessarily deeper, but you start getting into some philosophical, psychological aspects. It becomes difficult for analytical people to have. You know, I, I, I'm interested on one other topic before we get into kind of the journey and, and the lessons you learned building a business and, and being just a kind of a, a thought leader in the industry. You know, general planning, I think one of the challenges with general planning is that it's, there's always so many great tools out there and the tools provide great UI and great outputs. The challenge, I think, has always tended to be, or that, and it's just human nature. It's nothing's wrong with anybody. It's just the way that we are, just following through on the plan. You come back the next year, like, hey, I gave you the plan. Did you go and execute it? That's going to really help you get to retirement. I think I know maybe the answer on the healthcare side, but how is it different to get people to follow through on all the planning that goes in? How do y'all make it easy? How do you how do you help your advisors ensure that what is talked about within Caribou gets enacted outside of it? Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, there's two layers of this. First is the advisor. We have to make sure that the advisor has the behavior change and is bringing it up with their client. So we are on top of our advisors a lot, especially this time of the year. So we're recording this in December. Open enrollment just ended. You know, we are running very, very aggressive campaigns to our customers around open enrollment, the benefits of open enrollment, the cost savings potential available. We are identifying for them amongst their client list, the ones that could potentially benefit from open enrollment and talking about their health insurance options with their client. That could be as simple as, you know, age, which all advisors thankfully track in their CRM. But something that some advisors don't track in their CRM is working status, for example. So you can't just easily pull out a list of your retired clients who not, might not yet be yet Medicare eligible and, you know, target them and reach out to them and offer them the potential offering. So we are on top of our advisors with things like that. And the way that we educate them is around these life events. So open enrollments, one retirements, one journey, 65, divorce, moving, child turning 26 and aging off the policy. These are all life events and triggers that we're educating our advisors on. And then there's the actual implementation. Because we're an objective service, because we don't sell the health plan, because we don't want to make any commission, we actually don't bring the client across the actual finish line, so to speak. And they actually have to go and enroll in that plan on their own. So it's just making sure that you walk the client the full way through. You can't force them to drink. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to let the client know this is your deadline. This is your timeline. You have to enroll by this time. This is where you enroll. Here's the step by step. Oh, you don't like the computer? Here's a phone number you can call. Here's our phone number you can call if you get stuck. And it's just making sure that the client understands every single step of the way and a deadline on when to do it. And I think that we set those deadlines really, really well with our clients and with their with their advisors. And they're aware that you actually can't mess around with those. You miss your special enrollment window, you're done for, you're uninsured, you've got a gap in coverage. You missed open enrollment, that's it, that next year you're on that health plan again. So that helps us too, is that we can use a little bit of fear tactics with things like that to let them know like, look, there's no way around this, this is your deadline. This may be a little bit harder for advisors to do for something that's still you know, a few years out. Yeah, that's far in the distance. I, I I do like that that sense of urgency. Well, let's pivot for a second uh, because we've got a lot of you know entrepreneurs that listen, business owners. We also got leaders and people that may just are interested in general business. 
you know, I'm curious about the start of Caribou. You know, you're a first-time entrepreneur. You all have built a, a great business. You've built a brand. I, I'm curious on some of the lessons that you've experienced as you've gone through this. Maybe you can share one or two of your kind of the business lessons that you've made been made aware of that you weren't aware of from watching Shark Tank um, <laughs> or reading business books that you you learned when you were in the trenches. I, I'm always curious to, to talk to other entrepreneurs on that side. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, that could be its own podcast series uh, on its own. I think that as I reflect in this time of year is always a good time to reflect on the progress that you've made in the last year or just in general building the business. But I think that people and the people you hire around you at the different stages of the business are really important. You know, at this stage right now, we're getting into having more specialists on the team. But early on, you needed a lot of generalists who were willing to do anything and just dive in and do the gritty work. You don't know, you don't really need people with gray hairs and strategists and people who want to sit around a table and pontificate on the next four years, five years of the business. You need people who are figuring out like, what's our plan this week? What milestones are we hitting this week? And then constantly reevaluating that plan. Of course, you want to balance that with a little bit of long-term thinkers, but only until you reach, you know, what's called product market fit and you're starting to generate revenue on a product and a process that is very repeatable, can you then really start to think long-term? And, you know, I think we really hit that inflection point this year. Our customer base grew by 600% this year. You know, like we're we're really starting to expand our our market reach. And now we're getting into, okay, we need specialists and you know, people who can work with the clients directly and explain to them the health insurance option deliverable through the platform, for example. Like that's a specialist role that we've hired. But they still have the attitude of like, hey, where can I jump in? Where can I help? Where are the gaps? Where are we potentially missing our metrics this quarter? And and can I step in? And I think that people have been the biggest learning as as a first time founder, knowing who to hire, when, and how complementary skill sets, either from a leadership perspective or an individual contributor perspective, can can really make or break the company. That's been something that's been really, really, as one of my biggest learnings, um, for sure, is to stir on people. To those that are that are managing people, right? You're leading people, you're inspiring. I see leadership and management as two separate things, right? Management yeah. is ensuring the tactical execution towards a strategic vision. Leadership is inspiration and inspiring and setting the vision and helping people see and feel and, and, and fall in love with it. To those that are kind of leading people or managing people, what helped you understand how to best get the right people and to help and remove barriers and help others really excel because you know the, I think that's one of the biggest challenges going entrepreneurship is when you're not an entrepreneur even if you're a leader you still have others that set the groundwork for you when you're an mm-hmm. entrepreneur you build you're laying the bricks you're 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 creating the road and and you're creating it all so what helped you become good at identifying and and being able to inspire and lead people or manage people you know as as you have I think that's related to my second biggest learning, if I could tie those two questions together, which is that as a founder and CEO, you should be selling until your calendar is packed with 50 meetings a week and you just candidly cannot take any meetings. The reason why I believe I am a good leader to our team and a good manager to our team, it's because I know what our customers want. I know what their clients want. I am involved in that all day, every day, because I'm still the one leading the sales meetings. And I find that when people remove themselves from that process, they're not actually connecting 
with what their clients or their users or their customers actually want in the market. And that can become very dangerous because you're living in this world of five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, there's a lot of advisors who have been in the industry for a really, really long time and they could still be doing this. Their their ways could be stuck, you know, from from that potential time. And I'm constantly learning from the customer and involved in that. And that allows me to influence and lead with data to our team. It's not emotional. It's me saying, you know, like our customers want this. You know, they're saying this about the product. They said this about the way you delivered that to them in the last meeting. You know, it's it's me still being so involved in the day to day. And, you know, we're still a startup and I can still do that. But I hope that even as we continue to grow and I start to remove myself from that, that I can still carve out days where I am involved in figuring out, you know, what our customers really want, what the feedback on the ground floor is, because then it's not about me. It's not about my management style, my leadership style. It's like, this is where the industry wants us to go. And how can we like fill that gap and, and follow that path towards what they really want and build a really big business? Because at the end of the day, that's what that's what my team wants. They want to build a really big business. They want to deliver value and, and have impact on the industry. And so if it's all for nothing, why does it matter? So that's why our customers come first. I love that. I want to give you an opportunity to do a pitch here. It's not like a pitch show, but, and then we'll get into kind of the wrap up. I mean, I could spend hours talking to you. You understand what you're doing and you're an inspiration to entrepreneurs and the industry. So I want to ask this, why is Caribou going to win in this space? Why is Caribou going to be the name that everybody knows when it comes to healthcare planning? Caribou is the only completely objective, proactive planning platform for health insurance decision-making. There are other tech-enabled companies that claim to not be incentivized by any commissions. However, that's how they generate their revenue. We are the only pure software-based company that exists out there that is not a consulting company. So that's also an important distinction is, you know, there are consultants that you could potentially hire that can help you with something like this that can remain objective. But we are the only scalable software solution that can work with your clients, no matter what their life stage is, pre-Medicare or on Medicare, as it relates to making smarter financial decisions about their health insurance. And I think that we will not be the only ones doing that for long. And so I'm hoping that our, our brand really helps us stand out, our reputation of putting clients first and creating a more integrated planning process for the advisor. And, you know, we've got phenomenal customers that have helped us build this product. And so as long as we continue to just iterate based on their feedback, I have no doubt that we'll continue to win. Love that. You get it. I think that, you know, you understand the space. You spend a lot of time learning about the space and you you come from a background that understands what you're solving. So uh, it's unbelievable. Before we get into the last two questions, I do want to ask one tip. What is one healthcare tip that all advisors can go and put into practice right now to better their clients? What's that one thing? You can't make it too difficult. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep talking for a second to allow you to think about it. But it's just that one healthcare tip that, that all advisors, maybe they can research. But what do you have? The easiest one, easiest. So I'm making this super easy for you advisors who are listening is go through your CRM, create a filter for clients turning 65 and set up some type of reminder system that notifies you six to eight months before their 65th birthday so that you become the person that they come to. This is for your benefit, not mine. doesn't matter if you work with me, but you want to become the person that they come to 
when they turn 65 and start to get bombarded with mail and emails and anyone they ever gave their date of birth to, any insurance company who knows how old they are, is going to start to absolutely just bombard them with information and you want them to turn to you. You want to be the person that they come to. And so you can do some pretty basic research around what's original Medicare, what's Medicare Advantage and help guide clients through that decision making process. That is super valuable to clients and they're going to be really grateful they got it from you. I love it. And and you, you because my last question is going to be another actionable tip. So actually advisors are going to get two <laughs> actionable tips, which is great. So so let's okay. transition into the final couple of questions so you can get back to leading your team and and solving a major pain point in the industry. I always like to, I'm, I'm a constant learner, thirst for curiosity. I like to learn from people that are smarter than me. I do that through reading, uh, even though it takes me forever to read a book, but I still love it. I always like to ask what's kind of the best book that you think people should read if they haven't or reread if they have. And if you have two, that's okay. But what books do you have out there? I do have two. I couldn't decide. They both happen to be by managing partners, Andreessen Horowitz. And it's not a coincidence, but it happens to reflect on the things that I'm interested in. And you know, amongst the 2% of women who have raised venture capital, for example. And so I've had to do a lot of reading on what it's like to be on the other side of the table and educate myself around that. It's another industry that I would never want to go into (laughs) uh, to be on that side of the table. But one is the hard thing about hard things. There is no easy way to build a business. There is no easy way to have hard conversations with your employees, yourself or your customers or whoever else. That, That book is like my Bible. Like it made me realize that I'm not alone in this journey and that there's a lot of people who have felt things that I have felt and it is very inspirational. So I love that book. And then the other is Secrets of Sandville Road, which is something that if you are an advisor or just an individual interested in venture capital, that really taught me what it's like to be on that side of the table and what investors are looking at when they're evaluating startup companies. And I found it very, very insightful, very interesting. It changed the trajectory of my fundraise when I was fundraising. And I think it's what led me to have a successful fundraise and to raise what I have for a caribou. So I, I also am very grateful for that that book and would encourage anyone to read either of those. I love that. I would. Uh, I haven't read the second one, but I have read the first one by Ben Horowitz, A Hard Thing About Hard Things. If you are wanting to know what it's like to be in Christine's shoes or you want to go into those shoes, read that book because it was a, a game changer for me as well. And yeah. it's eye-opening. It's eye-opening. I wouldn't There's have done no it reason. if I read the book in advance. So be prepared yeah. that if you read the book, that's, it might that's discourage a fair point. you. <laughs> read it after you start the thing. Or if you just don't ever want to start and you want to just know what it's like, read that and you'll, you'll get a good exactly. feel. Exactly. So the last question I always like to ask is one actionable takeaway. You know, we talked about a lot, whether it's something we talked about or we didn't talk about, you know, healthcare playing in, in the mindset of it is, is necessary. It, it can be difficult and challenging. But what is one thing that you think all advisors or listeners to this podcast can can and should take away that way they can put into place tomorrow and be better for it? Yeah, one uh, kind of culture that we subscribe to, and this has come up in a variety of different facets within this podcast is, um, you know, Jeff Bezos is saying of every day is day one. Uh, you know, like we have a very competitive attitude. We are out here to win. We're out there to win our next customer and we're going to fight the for the right to earn it. And it's, it's not something that's guaranteed to us. We have to earn everything and reevaluate everything we're doing and constantly just learn from our customers and iterate as if it was that day one of, you know, people in a spreadsheet or in a Google form able to make, you know, small little changes to win that next customer. And I think that that's important for advisors to take into account too, the way that, you know, you might have done something 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago, isn't necessarily what 
the market wants today. And so don't be complacent. Every day is day one. You've got to earn that next client. I know advisors out there want to grow and they want to do better for their clients. And so that's related to healthcare in a very <laughs> roundabout way. It's something that maybe you as advisors will look into. It's a philosophy that has at least helped us internally. So maybe it will help your listeners. I love it. I love it. I think you have done an amazing job and I hope you continue to have success and I look forward to watching you. And I know there's plenty of people on this podcast that are cheering for you and, and probably want to be able to get in touch with you and the team at Caribou. So what's the best way for them to continue to follow you and, and to stay in touch with y'all's journey? Yeah. CaribouWealth.com is the website. You can book calls with me directly because I'm so involved in those sales calls. So it's my calendar attached to those demo booking. So you can book a call with me directly if you're interested in learning more about the software. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. The company is as well. So you can follow those pages too if you're just interested and following along in the journey. Christine, I wish you the best of luck and thanks for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. Yeah, thanks, Pat. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 